Hello, hello, hello. Dr. Paco here with you. And it has been quite some time. I have been battling some sickness, been trying to manage so many other responsibilities, and it has kept me away from you all. But I am here today, and God willing, I'll be able to stay and get back on schedule. Now, today I have the traditional topic that I will speak to you all about, but I'm actually including a new element to the podcast, which we will call the Truth Teller News. This is just going over some of the current events that are currently happening um, in society, potentially around the world, but generally in American society, because that is where I am and that is where I know um, the most about. And then we will get into the subject that I intend to to discuss um, today. So for today's current events, we're gonna start with the Meghan Markle saga that just won't um, go away. And when I think of Meghan Markle, I think of someone who's narcissistic. I think of a grifter, someone who is opportunistic and my irritation with her and why she has been put on the docket for today is that me being extremely pro-black me being an activist and someone who believes in the liberation and the advancement of people of color who believes in reparations for all descendants of slaves um i find her utilizing the black experience for personal gain particularly offensive. And so that's why I call her out um, from time to time. Now, Megan has a tendency to put her foot in her mouth. And although there is a lot of people, a large group of Black women who support her because um, vicariously they, they want to live through her, she gives them that Black Disney princess myth that's just never going um, to happen but they see something in her that they see in themselves and the connection is false. But when you actually look at it for what it is, what you see is someone who is playing a narrative and is trying to use race to garner sympathy. Now, Megan has recently stated that she never seen herself as a black woman. And that was first introduced to her whenever she went over to England and i found that a very interesting admission and i was glad that she admitted that because you see the black experience has a lot to do with the lens it is the lens in which all your experiences that you you view you view your experiences through this lens and if you've never seen yourself as a black woman then you will not be able to properly categorize to properly put in the proper folder your experiences as a Black woman because you are not seeing them clearly. And Megan has been someone in her time in the United States who definitely was passing um, as a white woman. She clearly was not embracing any of her her ethnic features. You, You never seen her with her natural curly hair. You've only seen her in white spaces. You've only seen her dating, rather marrying white um, men. And these 
so-called black celebrity friends like the Serena Williams that she claims to have, um, them being seen together just so happens to be happened to conveniently be something that you've seen around the time it was that her and Mary, her and Harry were to were to wed. But when she married her first husband, which is a good almost like four years after when she said she met Serena Williams, Serena was not at that wedding. Um, in fact, there weren't any Negroes at that wedding. So I, what I see here is that when Megan went to England, she thought she could continue to do her same song and dance. But when she came in with that same energy of wanting to change things and wanting to be princess when she really was just duchess in, in, in her jealousy and wanting to renovate this and wanting to renovate that and the lack of humility she she's shown whenever all this is on taxpayer dollars, I think that the public responded very negatively to her and they wanted to hit her where it hurt. And generally when people want to break you down or they want to hurt you, they go for, they go low, they go as low as they can go. And I think when word spoke, when word broke about her being a divorcee, when word broke that she was not of pure white Caucasian race, that was the angle in which people in the press, that's the angle they took. Now, it doesn't make it right. Um, it, it definitely is is in, indeed racist, but that is much different than the experience that a Black woman goes through who you were Black before you were, you know, before you knew you were. And it appears to me that what Megan has experienced is being treated less than a white woman and not being treated like a black woman. And I wish her trying to create some equivalence between these two things would go away. And I wish people would stop giving her that time and that lane to do so. I cannot wait to this, this 15 minutes is finally up. Now, Brittany Griner's home and I'm not gonna lie, I was tired of hearing about the story. I was tired of the entitlement and the US has forgot about me and the storylines and the narrative saying that wrongfully detained. And I'm like, girl, you did the crime. Now I agree that the punishment seemed harsh. It seemed extreme, but if that's how they do it in Russia, that's how they do it in Russia. But I'm glad they were able to come to an agreement, even if it was for an arms dealer. But at the end of the day, they were set to get out of um, prison around the same time anyway. So to me, it's a wash. I know a lot of conservative white people are very upset about it, but they're going to always be upset about anything that gets done for a black person anyway. So if I'm Brittany, I say bite me and go on about your business. Um, Bill Cosby has five new accusers. Um, two of the alleged accusers have out, have worked on the Cosby show. And so I'm not going to be one of those people who discourages people from telling their truth or who discourages people from, from coming forward. But I would just like to say, can we just have an altar call where we just go ahead and just say it out loud that this is a great time that if Bill Cosby has done something to you, for you to go ahead and speak now, this is a great time. 
I just I just want to put that out there. Um, moving on with the news, we have Jerry Jones. If you don't know, that's the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. He was seen with a crowd of white students that were blocking the six black students from entering um, North Little Rock High School in um, Arkansas. And this is, I think, was about 1957, was it or so? I believe it was. Don't quote me on the exact year, but he was 14 years old. And the picture had surfaced. And you had a lot of um, Black people like Stephen A. Smith and other people who have known Jerry Jones for quite some time coming out to to defend him, um, cooning and, and things of that nature. And it's interesting because when a Black person gets caught up in um, scandal, we always have to answer for ourselves. We always have to answer for each other. But you didn't have white people who felt the need to write think pieces or to go on their podcast or to go on their live television shows and to speak of of how good of a guy Jerry Jones was or is because he is still alive even if he looks like he barely is alive he still is alive and my thing is that Jerry Jones can speak for himself but what's really interesting about the Jerry Jones situation is that he has a history of not standing up for black causes you know when Colin Kaepernick was kneeling and was not standing for the national anthem Jerry Jones has to have some choice words for that and he has some threats about if his players were to try such um, such actions you know what what he would do under those circumstances so I would say Jones was definitely do an interview to at least explain why he was standing in front of the um, kids entering the school. Now, some people said he was just curious, but um, what is there to be curious about? So there are some black kids that are trying to go to school. There's an angry mob who are trying to prevent them there, and you're standing with the angry mob. Now, some point to Jerry Jones's age, and they'll say, oh, he was only 14 years old. Well, so was Emmett Till. Emmett Till, who died two years earlier because the liar Carol Bryant, who we're still waiting on the arrest warrant for Carol Bryant, she lied and got him murdered at 14. And we've had other black boys who have been murdered or who have been lynched historically for hands in pockets, wearing hoodies, um, whatever so have you. So um, given the context and given the time, a 14-year-old boy could definitely answer for something that, that he was done. I mean, can, can we at least get a get a Skype interview with Jerry? I mean, something? I mean, I don't, I don't know. It just seems like we should be able to get a little something from Jerry. Um, now we're going to move on to Kyrie Irving and Kanye West. Really, no, no particular order, but I guess I'll go with Kanye West first since he has been the most in the news, I guess. Um, Kanye West's decline has been really interesting to see. And a lot of his decline, I believe, is related to his mental illness that he refuses to treat. And I think a lot of people who you want to say in his corner, but clearly not really in his corner because they've been exploiting him, have led to his downfall. And some of his diehard fans actually thought Kanye had a plan as he was destroying his business dealings and, you know, he was just destroying his brand and getting kicked off of this social media platform and that social media platform. And people thought that Kanye West 
was, you know, he was playing chess, not checkers. And Kanye wasn't even playing Connect Four. And people were thinking he was some visionary. And I just thought, no, he's just the fool. And marrying that narcissist, Kim Kardashian, marrying into that family of narcissists in general, of, of the Kardashians, it really it really set him back. And I think that, you know, Kim, you know, because she she's soft-spoken, you know, and she just seems so harmless, that she gets to go under the radar. But I think whenever you know someone is um, mentally, un- mentally unhealthy, they are, have a mental disability, key emphasis on disability, and you do things that um, enable, that exacerbate that problem, then you become an abuser. And, and also an enabler. So for her to continue to have children with somebody who was not medically treated and for her to go and to have someone who she just got involved with around the children of someone who is not psychologically well was her continuing to stoke the fire, throwing the rock and hiding the hand and pretending as if she had nothing to do with however he acted after the fact. And that is just a classic example of how people who deal with like um, bipolar disorder or schizophrenia disorder get in bad relationships to where it's like a ball and chain situation to where somebody is constantly pulling your strings. But because your behavior is so obnoxious or it's so outrageous, they constantly can make you look like you're crazy and like you're the you're, you're the bad guy. But Kim has, has been in so many relationships and she has, has been through so many men, I think it's safe to say that she is the common denominator. Now, Kyrie Irving is on this list because he also has been put in this category of visionary, of leader. I even heard him referred to as like a Muhammad Ali of his time. I've heard him referred to as like a Malcolm X of his time. And that was where I had to come in and say, no, Kyrie Irving is someone, he, number one, he's in love with white people. And that's not something that you could say about Malcolm X. And that's not something you could say about Muhammad Ali. And I'm, and there's nothing wrong with loving white people. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with loving all people. But when you are in love with white people, and let's say maybe you just have some love for, for your people, then you can't be for the people, if that makes any sense for you. I hope that didn't, that didn't confuse anyone. Uh, when Kyrie had his boat party, where he had looked like a good 50 plus women on the boat, they all were white. And I mean, white, blonde hair, the whole thing going. And, and it wasn't like these were Victoria's Secret models. These were just regular old white, white women that a lot of white men don't mind giving away. And he was called out about it and asked about why there weren't any ethnic women, you know, or black women on the boat and everything. And his response was just that he doesn't have any issues, you know, with with black women, you know, so to speak. But actions speak louder than words. And when you have that many women on a boat, you don't accidentally not invite one sister. She was not invited intentionally. Let's just, let's just put it that way. There are no Black women in your circle. They are not in your space, essentially, is, is, is what I'm getting at. I don't want to hear 
about somebody that is one eighth black that you had a kid with, somebody who's claiming five different ethnicities, but you can't see none but the white one. We're talking about a black woman of brown skin, of kinky, coarse, potentially hair. Where is she yet in, in the space? And something else about Kyrie is that people think that because he marches to the beat, of his of his own drum that somehow some way that makes him some intellectual but the reality is 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 that marching to the beat of your own drum doesn't really mean a whole lot if your drum is off beat and what i've seen from Kyrie over the years is that he really is just someone that just does whatever he wants to do it's not really tied towards a purpose like a greater purpose for black people. Like whenever he decided that he wasn't gonna get the COVID vaccine, like it really was just a personal decision that really just, I guess, benefited himself, if you even can call it that, because he said he didn't get the vaccine, not because he didn't believe in vaccines, but because it was mandated and he didn't believe in mandates. So as his team continued to lose game after game after game, one of the star players demands a trade and when he finally comes back after the after the um, COVID restrictions have been lessened and now he can play, the team wasn't even what it was. That was a personal choice. That 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 wasn't about being an advocate for anything. That's just him doing what doing what he wants to do. And then to add insult to injury, before the mask, before the mandate on the vaccine, there was simply just wearing the mask, and he didn't even do that. Like he was caught at um, his sister's wedding or whatever event it was, not wearing a mask. So you don't get vaccinated, so you don't wear a mask. I just don't see where's the intellectualism and where is the Malcolm X, the, the leader to the of the people to the future. I don't, I don't see that in that. And then with his movie or that he was watching, um, the, oh, what was it? Hebrews to Negroes or... Negroes to Hebrews or whatever it was. I mean, he didn't share any excerpts. I mean, he didn't reach out and say, hey, Black people, this is this is what we need to know. He just posted a link, you know, a picture on his Instagram and didn't post anything. So in typical Kyrie fashion, it was very cryptic. It required an interpretation. And I just think a true visionary, a true leader doesn't require you to have to pull out a magnifying glass or have to pull out a glossary to you know to try to figure out what is he is this person trying to say so i just think it's just it's a bunch of hogwash in that and, and we just need to let these celebrities be celebrities and quit looking at these celebrities to take us to the promised land so i know that was a lot of news and i apologize if it was unbearable for you because you could care about none of it but you got to understand that this is popular culture, and this is what is influencing the children in the new generation. And if you have children or grandchildren, you need to be aware of this is what's being fed to them. People are wearing shirts with these faces on them, thinking these people are leading them somewhere. Yeah, they're leading them to a well that is dry. So what I intended to talk about today, more importantly, is abandonment. Um, specifically, we were going to talk about fatherlessness. Um, since that seems to be the more prevalent type of abandonment. And it affects boys and girls very differently. And so what I wanted to do differently, since most people just speak generally, I wanted to try to provide some info 
that really looks at what you can see with girls and what you can see with boys and how you know that this might be a sign of that. So with girls, a lot of times for fatherless, you will notice that you'll see low, low self-esteem. Now, before I, I get too, too deep into that, one thing about fatherlessness, because children kind of are like inherently kind of like narcissistic because they think everything revolves around them. And the hope is that the children like will grow out of this. And in many cases, they, they do grow out of it. Um, and so great, but sometimes they don't, but that's not the point. Is because children think everything centers around them they often have, have low self-esteem. Sometimes children may have social anxiety or they may have like, like a depression. And so you'll see with, with a lot of girls, you know, they'll, they may go through depression. They may, they're more likely to have um, like eating, e eating, dis eating disorders from the father not, not being present. Um, you may notice that there are some boundary issues. A lot of times, you know, with girls, they're, they may not necessarily respect themselves um, because not having a father um, generally means that a girl will have less insight about men and will have less insight about the appropriate boundaries and the parameters that should exist around men. And so a lot of girls that don't have fathers really struggle with choosing men, choosing suitable men, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> choosing suitable men to be in relationships with and men to entertain. And so a lot of times they learn from experience and emphasis on bad experience. Um, a lot of women have struggled with confidence in their own abilities because, you know, mothers nurture and, and they nurture in, in good ways often. But it's something about the presence of a man that can give you confidence that you're that you're doing it right. And just makes you makes you feel good about yourself. So it's really nice to have that strong figure um, in the home. Something else you'll see a lot with with young ladies who who are fatherless is they kind of become obsessed with 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 love stories, or stories that that depict love, or they can just disassociate with it all altogether. It just really just depends, like, and become very numb. And sometimes that numbness can can present itself in pr promiscuity, but it also can be that if you're obsessed with being loved and being in affection, you can also develop promiscuity. So it kind of is like a two-edged sword. It really just depends on the, on the individual. But one thing about being really promiscuous is that you're not really connecting with the person um, in like a truly like psychological, mental, emotional way. It's more so just about the presence and the feeling of and not really the, the, the connectivity, if that makes sense. Um, oftentimes, when people have been abandoned, they have a hard time sustaining a relationship. Um, their rejection issues, their fears, a lot of times will have them self-sabotage in their relationships or they will, they will hold on too tight or not hold on tight enough. They will be really quick to be done, done with the situation. Like I'm going to end you before you end me. Um, kind of going back to what I was saying about like, you can be too emotionally involved or not involved enough, just really depending on, on, on what all has happened. And then you have people who are so desperate for attention just to get it from anywhere 
that that is when the promiscuity the promiscuity can come in. And one thing that's important to understand is that if you're a very promiscuous person, then you are committing violence against yourself. So basically, promiscuity is self-harm. Um, a lot of people who have been abandoned have a lot of walls up, have a lot of body issues, constantly, women specifically, constantly questioning their physical bodies, you know, their, their assets, um, whether it's the hair, the, you know, their, their, their breasts or, or whatever it is and comparing themselves. And when it comes to the eating disorders and the, the weight struggles, it can just, it can really just weigh heavy on, on young women who are trying to find themselves, who are trying to, to, be, to be beautiful. And so th these are things to think about when it comes to abandonment, because it really is trauma to the brain. And the way the trauma works, it works itself out. It is, it kind of like, like it, it, it bleeds out through, through involuntary actions sometimes, because you aren't really aware of what, of what's actually happening. So a lot of people who are abandoned, a lot of um, girls who are abandoned, they end up um, having premature sexual experiences and riskier sexual experiences. Um, it is not uncommon for early and unplanned pregnancies as a result of that looking for validation. Because you were committing self-harm and you were not taking care of yourself, you got in a situation to where you had an unplanned pregnancy because when you are at a, at a place of consciousness, when you are at a place of you are aware of what's happening around you, you're able to think more, you're able to think deeply about your choices and how, what leads to what. If I have this, un if this unprotected sexual experience, I can get pregnant or I can catch these diseases versus I'm broken and I'm sad and I just want somebody to hold me. So th those are those are things to think about. Also, people self-medicate through drugs. There's a lot of people that will turn to substances like um, that can cause them not to feel. Um, so whether it's uh, getting high, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's partying, um, just really just trying not, not to feel. And so whenever it's young boys, what I've noticed really, really sticks out to me what is young boys is anger and, and disassociation. A lot of boys have a lot of anger, a lot of pent up anger, sometimes like aggression. And it, it, it seems like it seems misguided and it's like, where does it come from and why do you have it? And I think it's like a lot of parents and teachers and whoever is in charge of the individual will try to treat these symptoms but not get to the root cause as to why the person um, um, is angry. And a lot of times it's like, why didn't you, why didn't you want me? Or, you know, why, why did you leave me? Which is why it's very important to have open conversations to where you are, you allow your kids to ask you questions and you give them honest answers so that they don't feel like that they're trapped. Like, you know, some parents treat their children as if you can't ask me anything. And if your relationship failed, or if you never even had a relationship with their father and they're interested in knowing the details of that, you should be willing to communicate with them, at least on their level, what really happened so they can start the process of healing and processing what all that means. That That's very, very key for a lot of men. Sometimes boys will, when they, when they dissociate from the situation, they can't connect with other women. And that's where sometimes you'll notice that the 
what the womanizer can come in or the not having respect for women, you know, can come in because they're not really present in those experiences. So when a woman tries to connect or show her emotions and hoping that this person will reach back, sometimes they're just, they're just left out in the cold. And you see a lot of, a lot of boys who, who are like that because they kind of follow in the footsteps of their father. So it's, it's essential that you are communicating with your kids and you're not just so focused on trying to make yourself look good back whenever you did whatever you did to create the situation that you created. It's here. There's no escaping it. You might as well go ahead and just and have a conversation. Because what I've noticed is that when these parents beat their kids into submission, the kids, they just develop more trauma and emotional issues. And it sets them up for like, it's like a domino effect that their future relationships continue to fail. And in many cases, they never get the help they need. So open, open communication to help children. Now, what has to happen to move past this now that we've kind of identified a lot of this is you have to learn to father yourself. It's a lifelong process, but you have to love yourself the way a father would love a son or a daughter. You have to understand that grief and pain, they need, they, it's a, it's a process. And you may revisit certain pieces of the process, but never give up. And as long as you keep keep grieving, keep going through the process and understanding that you have to be what you miss, you will find yourself edging closer and closer and closer to what you need to be. So I'm over my time today. I thank all of you guys who stayed with me this long. I will see you all soon with another podcast. Dr. Pot Coat out.